Good morning, everybody, or whenever you're listening. For me, it's Thursday around 11 a.m., and welcome to Chatting Between Takes. I'm your host, Sean Benson. I was actually going to do this podcast yesterday, and then uh, some friends came into town. So uh, I put that off, went to bed, woke up, and uh, and here we are. Um, I'm kind of flying without a net here today um, in, in two ways. One is that I never edit these, which isn't to say I might not one day, you know, if I had a guest who said something they regretted or whatever. I'm not here to, to punish or, or, you know, hang anyone up. It's not that kind of gotcha journalism we're doing here. Uh, it's no kind of journalism at all. But no, um, for me, I just don't like to edit it because, you know, I've been thinking about this, uh, the, you know, this podcast and what we're doing here. And I think the big thing for me is the idea that, and I hope you feel the same, there's a, there, there is a real we element to this. Uh, I really feel that way. There's something different about this. And, uh, you know, we're at the point where we have hundreds and hundreds of, of listeners already, which I'm, I'm blown away by, and, I, and, and I'm really grateful to y'all for listening. The, uh, the we-ness, I don't know, there's something different for me about how connected I feel to you guys, even though... You know, I don't know who's listening or when, um, but it's different than when I'm on a TV show or a film or, or even on stage. Um, the only thing that would rival it on stage would be music, but for some reason the plays feel a little different. And I think part of the reason is because it's me. Uh, and I, when I'm doing the music, it's me. Whereas, you know, otherwise I'm, I'm, I'm doing a character and it really does create a different thing. So I'm really glad you're here with me today. Man, I got so much stuff I want to talk about. I don't even know where to start and I promise you that none of it's really going to make sense. Um, but let me start a little bit with this idea. The main idea I want to talk about today has to do with um, what it means to be like considerate versus inconsiderate. And... Uh, and I think there's a lot of different ways to look at this. For me, okay, so uh, I was joking with Emily, my girlfriend, about about my obsession with traffic. Uh, uh, now, in a way, I have this love affair with traffic. I absolutely fucking hate, like, traffic traffic. Um, but the flow of it all, you know, I... I motorcycled in LA for seven years and you can lane split there and you know you gain a really intimate sense of what's going on with with the flow of it all and I think part of the reason this excites me a bit or why I get so stimulated and that's why we're going to I think the next podcast that I do alone will be uh, I'm calling it a car cast so I'm going to hang a mic in the car and then just uh, <laughs> it's a different kind of energy when I'm doing it it's, and it's what I sort of get addicted to with the traffic thing. But part of it for me has to do with, you know, in a way, it's almost what I talked about, um, you know, with let's say politics. So let's let, let's take Obama's uh, State of the Union address. I'm, I don't identify as a Democrat or a Republican or any of that stuff. I'm more interested in the reactions of people, you know. So he's a politician and, and, and he gives his speech and some stuff makes sense and some stuff doesn't. You know, they, they fact-checked it and apparently he came out, you know, pretty rosy when it comes to fact-checks. So that's always a good thing to me. And by the way, this is one of my biggest pet peeves, like, in life. And obviously, politically, it's the most obvious. But there's no penalty if these people are lying. So uh, here in Toronto, you know, when we just had our last mayoral election, when Doug Ford would say... We've saved the city a billion dollars. It's just not true. Like, it's not true. It's never been true. Even with creative accounting, it doesn't add up to a billion. And, 
I mean, at that point, he literally should go into a penalty box because he's looking directly at you and he's lying to you. Now, here's the thing, and this goes to something I always like to talk about with, with, with the political thing, and it really, to me, it, it all factors in with the consideration idea. So uh, Rob Ford, who's our uh, ex-crack addict mayor, maybe he's a true addict, maybe he just had troubles. I don't know, and I don't care. You know, I wish him well in that and his cancer and all that. I really do. But, you know, I always used to say Rob Ford may be an idiot, but if you vote for him, you are an idiot. Now, somebody might rankle at that if they voted for him. That's fine. You know, call your sponsor, work it out. But really, it's, uh, it goes to that idea of blind spots that, that turns me on so much. Because, look, Rob Ford's just Rob Ford. He's just a guy. He grew up where he grew up. You know, he's kind of a bumbling fool, whatever. If you believe these Globe reports, he was never a real sort of strong, intelligent member of the family. Doesn't matter. He's just himself. And he's doing the best he knows how to do every day. Just like you. Just like me. I never wake up and go, I'm going to do the shittiest job I can today. Or I'm going to go betray my girlfriend today and do drugs. Never once woke up and said that. Now here's the thing. That's fine. But we have the ability of not having his blind spot about him. And this goes for anybody. I don't want to make this about Rob Ford. I don't care. But he's a great example where nothing that he did was a surprise to me. And if it was a surprise to you, and, I, I'm, and again, not you literally, but the public, then we all need to kind of go retake like a high school uh, media course just to remember how to process information we're being given. And I kind of talked about this with the State of the Union thing on Facebook because, you know, I was saying how, what whiny-ass bitches the Republicans are. And they are. Because look, there are some Republican notions I agree with. But one thing I will never agree with is the fact that they will literally obstruct someone for six years, and then when he gives a State of the Union address that doesn't pander to them, they'll whine for a whole news cycle about, woe is me, he didn't reach across the aisle, he's arrogant. I don't think anyone went quite so far as to say uppity, but they may as well have. Um, the point, though, is that play your game, Republicans, but stop your goddamn whinging. Just, you know, be strong. But here's the thing is that their game includes the victim mentality. So that's fine. But the point is, is that nobody should be surprised that this is what's happening because it's just what happens. Now, I've been talking a lot about turning 40. Sometimes I feel even way older than that. I think about Animal Farm and I feel like the old donkey who just kind of sits and goes, really? You, uh, this seems new to you. Like you, you, you can't watch how this is unfolding. Uh, and, and again, with the Rob Ford thing, long before any drug revelations came out, long before any of that, none of his absurd, bizarre behavior was news to anybody who cared to know what the truth is. So this kind of in a weird way goes to this consideration idea. So in traffic, um, the, the main example I want to give is this. And again, uh, I hope my traffic analogies aren't boring you, but they're just analogies. They're ways that I see the world unfolding, and I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? Or, hey, nice one. So the, the main one for me this week 
And again, this happened about 10 times. This isn't once or twice because I go around the city a lot in my car. I'm doing a lot of different things. Is if you're parking either the front of a row of cars in a parallel parking situation or the back, either or, what I see almost everybody doing is you're the front car in line and everybody goes, oh, look, I'm doing a good job parking because I'm about, you know, 8 to 15 inches off the front or rear bumper, depending on where I am. You know what I'm saying? So you back up, you make sure you're nice and snug to the car behind you. That's the wrong way to do it. It's 100% the wrong way to do it. Same if you're in the back. You don't get nice and, you know, appropriately close to the car ahead of you. You look at the post in front or behind and you line up the back or front of your car with that. Now that might leave four feet between you and the car behind you. That's a good thing because that car might have parked there when there was a longer truck or something. Now the truck's gone and that car's still in quote unquote the right spot. But by lining up with that car and not the post, you're actually fucking everybody. You're probably taking now almost three spots. Uh, Well, definitely two full spots. And it's what I call inconsideration. And the reason I think about this is I imagine myself as a younger man. And uh, by the way, I'm not even drinking coffee today. That's part of the reason I'm hanging out on the wire. I've had too much already. Sipping water. Um, And by the way, Dave Steele, big shout out. I'm going to try and not burp on this podcast. So here's the thing. When I was a younger guy, if you'd said to me, hey, man, uh, you know, it's way better if you line up with the post instead of the car. I'd be like, no, and I, I, I parked really well. Okay, well, you, I mean, yeah, young dude, you, you parked well, like you maneuvered the car nicely, but you, you've kind of missed a bigger picture. And then I'd be like, yeah, and then if I finally got it, like if you got my back to the wall enough, I'd go, hey, I didn't fucking mean to, you know what I mean? And if you're like, yeah, but that's inconsiderate, I'd be like, it's not like I tried to screw you, you know, and maybe tell you not to take it personally. Now, that's, if, if you take away the aggression, that's what I would consider and, and, and societally kind of get as common thinking. You know, the common thinking is, well, you, maybe you're right, but I didn't mean to. That's the definition of inconsiderate. Because if I didn't consider it, then, yeah, oh, you're, you know, instead of maybe just going, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, no, I didn't consider it. And this for me gets to the thing I always say, which is be good at things, you know, like be good at driving, be good at, uh, be good at texting while you drive. If you're gonna be good at evaluating the ideas that are presented to you, including these, by the way, cause, uh, I'm just kind of an arrogant asshole, uh, with a microphone you know, take what you like and leave the rest and see where it factors in. But the point is with the driving thing, it's like, you know, the inconsideration on a grand scale, because that's just a mini example. Another one is, and I did this one today, when uh, I'm pulling up and there's three cars in the left lane, but it's not a left turning lane. And then the right lane, you can turn right. And there's no cars there. Now, on one hand, you'd think, well, why wouldn't I go to the front of the line? On the other hand, if I go into that behind that three cars and I'm the fourth car in the lane now, this morning it happened. We're driving Emily to work and about seven cars got to turn right because I didn't need to be first in line. Uh, And again, 
Uh, I wouldn't have done that 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I'd have wanted to be first in line. And now seven cars can't turn right because of me. So that becomes a factor of what I call that inconsideration. And I can't be considerate if I'm not skilled. That's why I say be good at what you do. And again, I'm kind of talking to myself here. But generally speaking, if I am worried about clutching while I'm driving a standard standard automobile, or if I'm worried, oh crap, uh, I I don't turn left very well, I get frightened, um, there's no way in hell that I can be considerate of other people. Now, who gives a shit? Traffic, stop talking about it, Sean. But here's the thing. Let's expand that idea. Let's think about being good at your job. If you're really good at your job, you're less likely to fear you're going to get fired. You're less likely to go to work uh, thinking about yourself, fearful for what the boss thinks of you while the boss isn't even thinking of you. I mean, God, if everybody thought of me as much as I think they think of me, I'd be as famous as my ego tells me I should be. And that's the thing is it's all this spiral of ego. I swear to God, people's egos prevent them from being good drivers. And then when you think about the work, now you can kind of lift your head up a little more. See the bigger picture. Oh, look, secretary or the the boss, they look a little down today. I can maybe listen when I ask them how they're doing. I can have some empathy. Maybe I can see that, you know, oh, look, all the paper towels that fell around the, uh, the garbage can in the bathroom. None of them look like they were pissed on. Maybe I'll just pick them up and put them in the garbage can. Now, one thing I'll never understand is why people in their own sort of like spheres will piss on toilet seats and floors or like shit on toilet seats. Like, I will never get that. But I think it comes a bit down to what I'm talking about, which is a sort of lack of of, of respect of, of property and, and the fact that we all kind of own the paths we're on. And, uh, it's funny because I've been I've been chatting a lot. And I, I've been questioned a lot since this podcast started about this whole liberal, not real liberal idea. And again, I, I stress these are small L's and small C's for liberal conservative. It's not party affiliations whatsoever. Um, but I think about it, you know, I posted about the Obama thing and, and how the Republicans are whiny fucks. And when they say, I'm not a scientist, you know, so somebody's like, well, what about climate change? Their, their new party line is kind of like, well, hey, man, I'm not a scientist, so let's move on. And uh, obviously that's a joke to answer like that because that's why you hire a scientist. My buddy Eric, he's always like, hey, you a plumber? No? Then hire a plumber. Uh, and I feel the exact same. I'm not a scientist. That's why I listen to people whose lives are fully dedicated to uh, studying something. And uh, somehow science has become just another opinion. But so <laughs> with this idea of, uh, of these, you know, these Republicans and this and that. So when I posted this idea on Facebook, I, I have a friend, Chris Martin. Chris is great. He and I really get along. And uh, he's sort of an outlier on my Facebook page. Because generally speaking, if I post, you know, some kind of anti-George W. Bush rhetoric, he's the one to go, you know, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. Now, I think it's a lot of Fox talking point bullshit things. Um, I think he's a bit contrary. But I'm so fucking glad he's my friend. And I'm so glad that he's part of the dialogue. And by the way, he'd probably entirely disagree with everything I just said, uh, which is fine because we're friends and we can disagree. The point is this. 
he responded about the whole idea that, you know, uh, we need to listen to scientists mentioning Lovelock, who uh, famously put forth the Gaia theory in the early 70s about the Earth being this Gaia mother, uh, and it thereby is a self-regulating mechanism unto itself, that the planet itself were sort of bacteria or whatever on it, and the planet's just regulating. And he also said that uh, CFC levels <coughs> didn't pose any real threat or weren't uh, terribly toxic, um, so again, there's, there's sort of some conflicting stuff there. Now, what's interesting, um, when Chris makes this comment, I think to myself, well, of course, A, he's, he's going to be contrary, uh, but the reason, and this is really what I'm getting at, the reason why I want his feedback, even though it generally disagrees 100% with my own, is it gets me thinking. Okay, wait a minute. Let's look up Lovelock. Let's really look at what his ideas were. Let's look at where the, uh, oh, my cats are fighting. Come on now, Maddie, lay off. Maddie's the aggressor. She's the smaller one, but man, is she feisty. Um, so this idea um, of, of looking a little further into what I already believe, because if everybody around just kind of goes, yeah, amen, brother, I may as well just be preaching to the choir, uh, and I don't want to preach in any way, shape, or form. But the point is, is that this challenge makes me look it up. Now, what's interesting is a guy like Lovelock, he um, was like ridiculously embraced by the environmental community because of the Gaia concept and the Mother Earth concept. But he's actually not really been embraced by the scientific community. Um, again, if you think the science is still out on uh, climate change, it's not. The scientific community has agreed that there is, you know, a serious uh, and, and, and negative effect, period. There are outliers, and, and in terms of scientific acceptance of this CFC is not being a problem, of the, which is basically greenhouse gases. And then the Gaia theory, no, the scientific community does not fully support um, those ideas. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting thing for me. A, you know, we can all quote whatever scientist we want, but the community's kind of a bit what matters. Not that there can't be people who lead or, again, the, the good outliers. And, and Lovelock definitely is a good outlier for, for the ideas he put forth. But where, again, I like what, what Chris introduces and, and other friends who don't necessarily think the way I think is, interestingly, the environmental community 100% embraces the Gaia idea, but also 100% of course embraces the idea that the environment needs to be protected because it's going to shit because of humans. But that's opposite of what he says. And so there's a real contradiction there. And in those contradictions, I think, is where we have to think critically. Now, this, again, goes back to the consideration idea because, you know, the other part of this stuff is where, you know, when, when, you, when we look at a guy like going back to the Ford thing, he, he'll be a certain way. Well, he's just whatever. He's in it kind of for himself. Uh, and, like, I, and I believe we kind of all are. And this goes to what I consider that sort of... Um, you know, we all vote in our own best interest. And I think that's the thing that has been tapped into so beautifully um, is that we don't always know what our own best interest is, A, because of the blind spot idea, but B, more importantly, I think, because it's so fucking easy to be goaded into a racism or goaded into a, yeah, 
uh, the world's against me, or goaded into a, you're awesome, you don't need to change, and can you believe what they're doing to you, and thereby sort of making me feel roused, uh, making me feel proud, but of stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with me. And the best example for me is sort of when low-income, not terribly educated people, they're the most likely to be rallied, you know, this is statistical, to the right. They're the most likely to become soldiers in that sort of shouting match uh, of a, a capital C conservative agenda. Now, what's interesting is when I use the word soldiers, because they're fucking expendable. Because if you are, if you have only crap job prospects, and if you are uh, don't come from a sort of educated thing, it's in your interest to have good health care. It's in your interest that the school for at least your kids, if not you, is paid for. Uh, you know, uh, adult learning, master's level learning, whatever. But you're the most likely to be rallied behind an agenda that quite literally doesn't serve you in the slightest. And that's what I find to be the holy crap. Yeah, we're all voting in our own best interest, but no, we're not. Because, you know, like I talked about with Kobe, if my neighbor's healthy and his neighbor's or her neighbor's healthy and and on down the line, yeah, I'm probably you know, not going to be put out uh, by them stealing my bike because they can't pay their health care bill. And, uh, and when your back's to the wall and you're dying, who gives a shit about your neighbor's bike? And obviously that's a bizarre example, but that's the kind of thing where the consideration, I think it even has to run deeper. Like, what's, what's the bigger picture here? And that's why I mentioned the being good at jobs and things like that. Like, if you suck at your job, um, or, you know, you're always kind of behind the count, then you're going to be like, yeah, don't hire the minority or yeah, don't hire. And I, I say this again. I made the joke about Obama and being uppity or whatever. Nobody's literally walking around being racist, but the pervasiveness of, you know, uh, Bobby Jindal, this guy goes over to London and he starts saying how there's these no-go zones for cops and how there's these Muslim areas that people are afraid to go to without a veil. Well, he's utterly making this up and it's anecdotal and he's probably the one inventing the anecdote. And when the reporter says, well, I mean, uh, which neighborhoods? You can't just say that. He just kind of goes, well, see what the liberals are trying to do. He's like, no, 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 which neighborhoods? I mean, I live here. There are none. And he's like, well, what the, what the liberals don't understand. So now again, it goes back to that fact check buzzer. Like that guy has to fuck off for like, like a year. There has to be a penalty where it's like, okay, you've just been caught making something up and the net effect of that is utterly damaging, utterly negative. Now again, that guy is just a politician. He's riding high. He's considered a sort of star of the Republican Party. Uh, good for him. Seriously, good for that guy. Go Bobby Jindal. But no fucking person on the planet should actually take anything he says seriously. And again, if it sounds like I'm just talking about right-wing examples for this kind of thing, maybe I am. That's my bent. I don't really care because there's an equal example of, you know, fund misappropriation on the left, and that person shouldn't be listened to either. I will say this, though. 
While fiscal conservatism is something I really support, despite my whole healthcare education thing, to me that has to do with proper management. And again, when the Harper government is worse fiscally, this is our prime minister for anyone in America, than every like last 10 years combined, and when they lose billions of dollars, kind of like the American stuff off, off skids for, for Iraq and Afghanistan, and they cannot, for the life of themselves, figure out where they left those billions. And, you know, they're buying these jets that don't work and all this crap. The point is they're not fiscally conservative. They're lying to you. They're lying to me. They're telling a shit that isn't true. Now, again, this isn't a political rant, but it's like, just because they say they're something, look beyond, look beyond, look beyond. Keep, keep looking beyond until it adds up. So I can't just tell you, yeah, I'm a good guy, but then show up late, you know, and again, it goes back to that idea where I, I said a few podcasts ago. The thing that people tell us is their strength is usually the thing that we have to um, get past to become friends with somebody. So just because I tell you I'm, I'm the kind of guy who listens a lot, no, I'm not. I'm probably going to talk your fucking ear off while telling you how much I listen. And just because I sit there and tell you I'm conservative, uh, the assumption, therefore, that I somehow am better for you in your pocketbook, it's absolutely not true. Now, again, lest this become a right-left thing, the misappropriations on the quote-unquote left are insane as well. So for me, then, what it really comes down to is what's right, you know? Okay, we're going to fuck you financially, um, or I shouldn't say fuck you, mismanage you financially, but we're going to do it at the expense of the environment, uh, your food and health safety, and uh, we're going to prioritize a trillion-dollar piece of equipment for war that doesn't work. Or we're going to mismanage you financially and we're going to try and get you a transit system and we're going to hopefully uh, increase the amount of daycares and we're going to hopefully whatever. The big lie is that the second one, which obviously has what I would consider a more human agenda, is somehow costing you more. No, it's not. They're all costing you the same. <laughs> That's really it. They're all costing you the same. Hey, we got some questions here. So... Um, for the podcast, let's see, Brian Benvy. What's up, brother? Benvy and I have known each other since I think grade five when I broke the uh, strap on his Swatch watch. It was the first uh, Swatch watch. I think my brother might have had one, but he, Benvy had a colored one. My brother had a see-through one. Anyways, um, hey, Benvy, what's going on? Why hasn't your agent landed you a role on Nashville yet? Oh, my God, don't even talk to me about this. If you don't watch Nashville watch it although be careful because they really reel you in and it's like old nashville's old school it's like the old network paradigm where you know there's 22 eps a year and uh the problem with that in this current netflix binge watching community is that i think it's been about six weeks since the last episode and then this next episode has got to be really damn good for me to still have the heart for nashville the way i have that said yeah, me and Emily, um, I'm not saying we uh, put on the Deacon and Raina wigs, wink, wink, but, uh, you know, I don't know why my agent hasn't yet. The, the real answer, Brian, is that uh, I don't even have my visa for the States anymore, so I'll, uh, 
I'll end up doing that probably again this year whenever I think about, you know, an L.A. move again for business. But uh, that would make it a tough cast for me. Although for a lead role, uh, you know, you can usually work that visa stuff out. The short answer is um, I probably resemble Deacon too much. You can only be told you're like Deacon about 15 times before you basically would have to play his brother. And uh, if that sounds like I'm complimenting myself, I don't mean it that way, but uh, I sure do love that guy's work. He's phenomenal. Mike Russell. What's up, brother? Dear Shawnee B, why acting? How has that feeling of why do I do this changed over your life, if at all? Great question. Um, Why acting indeed? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, A friend of mine, Phil, once said it this way. And by the way, if... If you're lucky enough to have this feeling about your career, or by the way, maybe unlucky because it's been a pretty brutal path at times. Um, I, you know, he said this real early on, Phil Riccio. He said, you know, uh, when people ask me why I'm an actor, I'm kind of like, well, see like that zebra over there? Like, why don't you ask it why it's a zebra? It is. Um, I don't know if I'm that hardcore about it. I'd like to be because it sounds cool. And with Phil, it's definitely true. Um, who, he's supremely talented. And by the way, he's doing, uh, doing the Seagull with the company theater right now, some Chekhov, and he's playing the lead, Kostya. Um, and I hear it's brilliant. So go see that. It's, it's running for a little bit longer after you hear this podcast here in Toronto. Um, it's, it's just, always, I've never felt more alive than when I'm entertaining. And I said that about this podcast. I mean, God, it can get ranty and all that crap. But, you know, uh, especially the solo ones, but all I'm trying to do is provide some entertainment. And I know when I'm listening to other podcasts, um, I, I, I just I hope and I feel like I can entertain for that half hour, for that hour. And uh, maybe it started out as some kind of insecurities or this or that. But today, you know, I just can't imagine. Oh, by the way, a quick story about that, Mike. It was about second year or third year university, and I walked into my biochem labs. I think I was doing some recombinant DNA technology, and we were about to put something in a centrifuge and pipette this and that. And I just looked around and thought, there's nothing wrong with this, but there's nothing that makes me want to do this really tomorrow. I will. I'll come and complete my experiments and all that, but, you know, it was more of like a, a vestigial, uh, you know, like a stream from something that had been shot uh, prior, but the trajectory was no longer accurate to who I was. And so basically that's when I sort of turned to the acting, which is kind of what I was doing for fun anyways. And I I guess, Mike, the short answer or the long answer now is this. If there was no such thing as money and if we were all just kind of hanging out in gray jumpsuits and everybody had uh, the same vehicle or, you know, mass transit tubes, this is what I do. Uh, some years I am really well rewarded. Some years I'm not so well rewarded, but this is what I do. So I guess that's the bottom line is if, if, if I couldn't fail and money weren't an issue, I've always just kind of done this anyways at camp. I'd stand up at the campfire and tell a story or sing or whatever. Uh, has the feeling of why do I do this changed? Yeah, 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 absolutely, you know. Um, honestly, lately, I don't think I have an answer and I don't really care about the answer. The why isn't important anymore. It's uh, it's just what, like what am I going to do now? To me, this podcast is part of it. And by the way, I talked about that a bit in terms of a resolution. You know, so I've been uh, an adult, we'll say, 
for over 20 years, if we're, if we're calling 18 adult. But I've been playing guitar since I was 13, uh, piano since I was five, dancing ballet since I was nine. Um, and the reason I say that, you know, is my sort of resolution, the main one, was to let nothing limit all the things I do. And by that I mean is I'd sort of always define myself as an actor first and then, oh, I happen to take photo photographs professionally or I happen to teach acting or do some directing, but I'm an actor. And I, I realized what a sort of unhealthy definition of self that was. First off, who gives a shit about my definition of self? Um, it's only a trap, I think. Uh, but to be aware of the things I do and let them flourish as they do is sort of my, my resolution. And you know, you know, I have a life in which I play music for money, I take photos for money, I teach acting for money, I do act for money, and a lot of times I get sort of um, uh, like a sort of reverse, embarrassed isn't the word, but you know, I want to be more humble when people are like, oh fuck, you're, you're, you're kind of gifted at guitar or whatever. And, I, and again, if that sounds conceited, fine, I, I don't care, but I'm not really gifted at guitar. I've been playing it for like 26 years now. So if after 26 years of playing guitar and if after about 20 years of being on stages and, 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 and doing this kind of thing, if I'm not pretty good at it by now, you know, there, there, there might be an issue. Uh, you know, they might they, they should become more hobbies and less careers. So I, I just say it that way. You know, I've taken music theory courses. I've I, I I played trumpet in band for like seven years. And again, that I was practicing when I went home. And and I'm not even that good at any of this stuff. Uh, but also, and this maybe is something I'd throw out. If you know, I really like knowing things, but I hate learning them. Learnings where I get pissed off at you and where I'm frustrated. But that's not really true, let's say, for guitar or for rehearsing acting. So if I have to go run scales on guitar because my fingers are getting a little slow and I put on the metronome and I sit down in the basement with headphones on and Emily's asleep and it's midnight and I can't crank the amp and pretend I'm a rock star and I'm just going do 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 I like that. It's fun. You know, my karate teacher, Randy Dauphin, and I talk about this a lot. I mean... Again, it goes back to that. If there were no money, if there was no, if nobody even knew what I was doing, would I go do that? And the answer is absolutely. So if becoming good at the thing isn't as fun as being good at the thing, and in my life it's often been disillusioning, you know, where I booked that TV role, and uh, even in my 20s, I found that a lot of my frustrations came from the fact that things weren't as fun once I arrived at them as I thought they'd be. My first TV show is a great example. Loved the people I worked with, loved uh, the whatever, but 16 hours a day on set for about two hours max of actual acting, it felt hollow. And the other thing is, uh, being on a billboard or being on a magazine cover is really exciting for all of 12 seconds, but it doesn't change anything really in that moment. Um, so a lot there, there were there were a few wherever you go there you are's or there's no there there's for me, um, right? Hit those things and go crap, versus running those scales in my basement. Uh, there doesn't need to be any there there because the whole point is running those scales. And anybody who knows me knows I'm kind of a freak about um, tone, and I'll shop for a guitar and I'll try seventy guitars before I'll pick the one. It's because I'm gonna be alone at midnight with that thing. 
You know, it better be the one I want and, and I'll take all the time to set it up the way I want it. And, and again, that for me goes to the idea of sort of um, the journey being more important than the destination. And, uh, <clears throat> and I mean, again, you know, I, I, I'm probably not a liberal, not a conservative, but definitely an elitist, but not an elitist in that sort of like, oh, uh, country club existence, that kind of thing. Um, I'm thinking more in terms of a meritocracy. I really, really respect excellence that's earned. And again, not even the gifted thing. Fuck gifted. What, what am I consciously working on? What am I consciously trying to get good at? And uh, it may or may not be working. But, you know, Kobe said this in the last podcast. You know, when I was in my 20s, I'd quote all this Zen stuff or quote all this, uh, I don't know, sort of earlier versions of Eckhart Tolle stuff and didn't have enough time under my belt to actualize any of it. And this is an interesting thing for me, you know, is actually having enough experience and time in and being good enough at certain things that I can accept it, you know. So when a 22-year-old actor says well, I need help with blah, 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 and I can look and identify a situation I've been in that's similar uh, to actually offer the help. And I've learned that this is a sort of uh, a version of ego is the shyness. So if I go, oh, well, what do I know? And I actually do know that thing, you know. Uh, if you place your hand this way on the, the fretboard, you can play your B minor easier. If I do know that and I don't show someone, I'm actually not being a service. I'm actually being withholding and interestingly being a version of inconsiderate because all I'm thinking about is, oh, what will that person think if I tell them what I know? Um, and that's an interesting one. Kobe and I talked about this too last time. I really enjoyed that podcast with him. But the idea that like, you know, when I was younger, I had this real, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. And I, and I honestly felt that way, but I think... I was also hiding a lot because I never knew how to feel bad uh, and allow those feelings. I was afraid to. I never knew how to be sad or, 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 or discontent. Um, so, you know, it was, it was very difficult to, to express those kind of things. And so I do think it was a bit one-sided. Then once I started working in TV film, oh my God, my fucking ego, man. When I was on General Hospital, I could not stop reading the message boards. And one day they'd be like, is he kind of bald? And someone else would be, is he kind of gay? And someone else would be, wow, we love when he does this. And so I'd start to like work in that way. So that got really debilitating. That was tough for me. And I became hyper involved in what people thought of me. I hope I'm finding a bit of a balance now, but part of the balance is going, yeah, if I teach an acting class and somebody's like, well, what the fuck does he know? I've spent more days on set than him. I'm okay with that today. You know, I'm not going to go, oh, that person might be right. I shouldn't teach. Um, you know, it's all kind of part and parcel with the same thing. And part of it, and again, this goes back to the responsibility I'm sort of demanding of the listener, which is I have to therefore keep being good at it. I have to make sure that I don't phone anything in or teach the lesson from three years ago today because today's a different day, and especially in my job, um, a new media, new medium, you know, it's, it's always changing. Things like webisodes become totally relevant. And five years ago, eight years ago, you know, you'd sort of go, oh, should I really do a webisode? That kind of thing. And, uh, and on and on it goes. So the, the wheel keeps turning. And uh, I sure don't want to be learning from someone who isn't still turning their own wheel. Or 
maybe more importantly, having it turned by another expert. Because especially as, you know, experts used to be older people to me. Well, now experts are people who've dedicated their lives to that thing, just like the scientist or, you know, my brother's an expert lawyer. So uh, just because I can have an opinion about law doesn't mean I know anything about how law actually works. So I'm no lawyer, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to listen to my lawyer. And uh, in any case, I'm going to go meet my buddy Tom Palmer for some uh, meatball sandwiches out in Mississauga. I really love you guys. I'm so glad you're here. And by the way, we are just climbing these rankings each week. I don't know what it is today because, you know, it does kind of, any day I post a podcast, it goes up and all that kind of a thing. But again, I just want to say how grateful I am. Let your friends know about the podcast and uh, and definitely keep writing into the Sean Benson Facebook page with, with your questions. It's I, I prefer the interactive nature of this kind of thing. And uh, we got some great guests coming up in the next couple podcasts. So uh, let's see, make sure we answered all these questions. I think we got it and uh, love y'all. Thanks for joining us on Chatting Between Takes. That's a wrap.